Well, let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Dear Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the chance to meditate on the good that sits in front of us. We're grateful in your son's name. Amen. We're in Romans chapter 15. Now, Romans chapter 15 is the culmination of all of Romans, 14 chapters of Romans, where he is getting at certain things, um, kind of the disruption between the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian, difference of, you might say, piety culture, virtue culture that they may have had, different things that they could not imagine someone not doing or someone doing. The Gentiles were very different in their practices than um, the Jews. And it bothered the Jews and it bothered the Gentiles and all of the book of Romans is trying to sort the Christians out so that they would learn that this key distinct thing called Christianity was distinct from Judaism, distinct from uh, Judaism, distinct from Gentile paganism. But we're not talking about that. It just so happens that what sa- that's what surrounds what we're looking at in chapter 15. Um, something else had been on my mind. And, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in Corinthians 5. And I had referred back uh, to Corinthians 4. And the key, of key verse in Corinthians 4 is verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. That's a tidy, tidy thought. And you almost probably started jotting down lists of names of people you knew who consisted in talk, but not in power. Maybe you had a shorter list of people who existed in power, not in talk. It's a great thing to meditate on. In the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about this passage. It's come up in various conversations applied differently in each case perhaps, but it's something to think about. The kingdom of God, it's like all the parables of Christ, you know, the kingdom of God is like, and then mustard seed or whatever, girls with oil in their lamps. Here's Paul. It's power, not talk. It's not held together by the, you might say, the The repeating of your propositional claims of the myth that is Christianity. I use the term myth not as a false story that pagans tell each other about the gods, but it's a, a kind of story that, that speaks of certain things that, that uh, can only be ex- described as mythic because it touches on spiritual things. Um, but I've been thinking about that verse. Because you would hope that you, I, the rest of us, here in Moscow, Idaho, 2,000 years later, had not lost track of the kingdom of God that is in power and didn't trade it in on the kingdom of God that claims to be the kingdom of God, but it is only talk. So I was thinking about that. what, what, What passage could I look up? And I was, I don't know if you know, if you're really spiritual, I'll show you this. 
These are ribbons that when I had this rebound by Brent Harkin, he put these three ribbons uh, in there. Uh, you've already seen the pictures of Bibles. I don't know if you have Bibles. I don't know if anybody has a Bible nowadays. You might have a phone. I'll look it up. Um, this is how the primitive man would remember where he was. The red one is the primary passage for the sermon. And then you might say reference passages in the two black ones. You say, that's so archaic, Kevin. Yeah, well, it is. Well, this morning I was sitting on the back porch going, what would I, how, would I, how would I address this? So I was grabbing at my ribbons that were in my Bible and I popped it open and I popped open to Matthew 22 and my eye fell on it. Verse 29, and Jesus answered them, you were wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. One of my favorite passages is when he's in the synoptic gospels, he deals with the Sadducees with this concept. You don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. So I have those two verses there on the top of your left-hand side. Because there were lines of meditation. I wanted to give you, not out of a desire to have the wrap-up of the book of Romans in chapter 15, some of the things that are dealt with are very valuable, you can go back and study them on your own, but, I, but there was a thread in Romans 15 that gave me something to attach to these two very general comments. Not talk, but power, the scriptures, and power. Verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to edify him. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell on me. Quote from Psalm 69. But this is what started me thinking that this might have something to do with the passages I was referring to. Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Okay? He accuses the Sadducees of neither knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And we sort of want to get at what's Some of the worst talkers on the planet are people who are very well informed about the scriptures. They can even quote whole books of the scriptures. The talk knows no limits when it comes to the scriptures. Because the scriptures are made, made up of words. And but I wanted to get you to the place where you were sink, seeking, belonging to the kingdom of God in power... And, not, and, and, and standing with Christ regarding scriptures and power against the religious, whatever the religious error of our age is. <clears throat> he quotes the Old Testament, and, and he's, he's there because he wants the kind of behavior of the Christians, Jew and Gentile alike, to be a kindness and an acceptance. Chapter 14 starts with, welcome the weaker brother, but not for disputes over opinions. There's an awful lot that needs to happen after 2,000 years of the church. And you know what I, I get on this hobby horse. And I just think of the 1600s when Christians, Protestants, shooting cannons at each other on the field of battle over their view of church government. 
I, something's got to be wrong. Christians don't get along. We know that when the topic of Christian unity comes up, we're flummoxed because we don't know which way we're going. And it may be, it may be because we neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. And we consist in talk, not in power. He gives the advice there that we're ignoring, the advice of getting along with each other. Quotes the Old Testament, then says, these things were written for your instruction, second half of the verse, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Steadfastness and encouragement, bringing about hope. One of the wonderful things about the work of God in power in the Christian life is that it's what your, it's what your hope is based on. Your experience with the Holy Spirit and with Christ does something, if you live in it in a, a continuation fashion, steadfastly, encouraged in it, it gives you the reason for hope. What you might want to ask yourself, if I have hope, some of you might be, I've got no hope, I, I'm hopeless. Some people say, well, I believe in whatever theology or institution or whatever it is you want to follow. I believe all souls Christian church is really going to work out for me, dear heavens. Where's your hope? We have hope because of what the scriptures do, instructing us in such a way that we are steadfast and encouraged. And that gives you hope. You know, when you say, what is, what's hope? Hope, in Romans 8, it, 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 hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what they see? We have confidence in an unseen. How do you get confidence in an unseen? Have you ever heard of jealousy? I, you know, some, somebody at the grocery store looks sideways at your girlfriend, and you aren't having that. Or you begin to suspect her. He looked at her, she's guilty in your eyes. How could you be so attractive? Some people go, no, I tr trust her implicitly. Not a, not a problem, for heaven's sake. Don't be so high school. Confidence in the unseen happens for a reason. You can be confident in your girlfriend because you are an egotist. You know, just so, so convinced of your own greatness that who could cheat on me? I mean, look at this. Or you're really confident in what you have with her. Steadfastness and encouragement, things that establish you in those sorts of things, are what your hope is rooted in. And your hope is the thing that works out the greatest powerful response of the Christian life. When he says, 
The kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. He's an apostle. He's also able to, you know, blind people at will and raise the dead. You know, the kind of the juice sort of power, the energy power. But he says the kingdom of God consists not in talk, but in power. He's not just talking about himself and the special Tim the Magician type of ability to zap things. He's talking about the kingdom of God quality. What is the power in you that is the kingdom of God, the absence of which you might be tempted to replace with talk? Now, uh, the end result, by the steadfastness and courage of the scripture, we might have hope. May the God of, it seems like it's important, may the God of steadfastness and, of encur- and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's sort of like the great good that we have never yet arrived at. Well, how could we ever have that kind of... Everybody reads the high priestly prayer and the Gospel of John where it says, they may be one as I and the Father are one that you may know that you know, have sent me. Here it is again, that we live in such harmony with another, in accord with Christ, that we would glorify God, who is the Father of Jesus Christ. This is the great power, the great ground of all people who belong to the church invisible, who have passed from death to life. They have gotten something that is powerful. They've also stood next to a lot of things that are not power, but are earthly powers, the politics of church, the politics of theology. Great to have a theology. I have a theology. It's the best one. It is correct in everything it affirms. If you think anything different than me, you are tragically wrong. Tragically. I will weep for you and pray for you. But I imagine you probably have some ideas of your own. Special, cute little Japanese ideas, maybe. Japanese ideas. Or the Irish, maybe the Irish have a few ideas. We have these things called theologies. We have these things called regular meetings in a building that we call a church. And and we know a certain degree of organization comes on. We need to do something about getting the church painted. Get the church painted, by the way. Some people actually think that is their church life. Some people think that is their great commitment. Some people think that is the power of God. It is the house of God. Some people think that your theology, that which you can defend, that which you have a good apologetic for, whatever it is, the true confession, you could be entirely right and entirely wrong about it. You could have everything that you affirmed completely correct. And it's not the power of God. It's talk. Because until you, in being made steadfast in it, and encouraged in it, being granted the hope of things unseen in it, you will, you will be pushed into a relationship with others of that, of that stamp. You will, in harmony with one another, right? You will be granted to live in such harmony that we with one voice would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We would have the thing. Everybody thinks there's this pie-in-the-sky impossibility for Christians knowing how they act. Maybe if we started with the people who were in the kingdom of God, because it consists of power. What's the power in us? We're a small church. Uh, shouldn't be that hard for us to get it covered. You know, there's maybe 40 people here. We could quickly make an assessment over the course of the next week. What's the power in us? What are we, what are we doing? Why, when we stand together, visit with one another, people from other churches, people from our church, do we, are we granted such harmony? That we glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? We've got to find that power. We've got to find the connection to the, to the scriptures. Because the scriptures were generating along this line. Because you know there are people that become professionals with the scriptures. They know so much. They're the go-to Bible answer man. That was Walter Martin's old title. The Bible answer man. But you know very easily that the scriptures, made up of words, made up of speaking, could very easily not lead to steadfastness and encouragement that we might have hope, but lead to conceits, arrogance, combativeness, the opposite of the harmony, right? The opposite. If you learned the power of God from the scriptures, if you gained these goods that were building who you were, and your confidence you had. Remember, the confidence in the unseen. If that has been the change in you, harmony is going to come out the other way. If it's from God, harmony with the believers is going to come out. If it is from your talk, it is from your tribalism that you created because of what you say in your talk, and you could be entirely right in what you say. But you're building, not the glory of God, Verse 7 says, Welcome one another, therefore. Because of this, welcome one another. He is talking to people that have probably one of the biggest gaps of hostility in history. The Christian was the residue of a Mediterranean world in which there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Mostly Gentiles. And nobody liked the Jews. You know anti-Semitism, you've heard about it. Sort of the great sin, one of the great sins. Racism, anti-Semitism. And uh, how easy was it for the Gentile world to look at the Jews and go, oh, oh. And you hear Jewish names like Jeffrey Epstein. Go, oh, really? Harvey Weinstein. What? And pretty soon people in the modern world are acting just like, you know, old anti-Semites. Oh, Jews! And just be on the other side for a moment. Jesus was a Jew. St. Paul was a Jew. Um, everybody else was a Jew in that Bible peoples, pretty much. And uh, they were chosen of God. 
He got like that. I mean, I'm a Scot. We deserve to be chosen of God. We just weren't. Just saying. But the Jews were. And you can argue with it all you want. They had the prophets. They had the oracles of God. Whatever the case. They're going to go, well, you know, Abraham, the patriarch, the David. I got, I got stuff. I got people way back. The Christ, according to the flesh. Kind of hard to beat, unless you're a Scot. Now, that didn't work well when it says in Ephesians, early in Ephesians, chapter 2, about verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, you're welcome. That's what it was to be on the outside of the covenant. Not be a Jew. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And it was hostile. People kill each other for these kinds of distinctives. By abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. The power of God that has to come upon you in the context of Romans 15 is that which makes one man in the place of two. You are no longer tribal. And if you've replaced the power of God with the power of your imaginations and your theological skills and talk, you're going to become just as tribal as the old way and just like the church fights with each other about every other church that's on the planet denominational infighting even inside the denomination it doesn't take but half a generation before there's some fight because people are replacing the power of God with the power of talk If I could welcome one another, therefore, it's because I was trained in the steadfastness and encouragement of the word of God to have hope in Christ and to have the God and Father of the Lord Jesus glorified. Has that happened? Has that power happened? Now, you might never be able to raise the dead or speak in tongues or whatever it is you think power means. I'm still working on levitation. we all have been given this that you can smile at your Christian brother who the Lord has welcomed remember the previous chapter said welcome the weaker brother but not for disputes over opinions are you, are you having victories in your welcome to the rest of the saints as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God this is, this is so central This is not just the way the kingdom of God is in power. This is the way the God is. The God has welcomed you. That's the nature of his grace, the nature of his mercy. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. He was faithful to the covenant and he was merciful to those outside it. And then he quotes three passages, four passages out of the Old Testament. Therefore I praise thee among the Gentiles and sing to thy name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And further, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come. He who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. He comes back around to what that Old Testament was doing in the steadfast and encouragement, our God of steadfastness and encouragement, communicating of himself to you that you might have hope, that you might believe. And having believed, be confident in what is unseen. And having been made into that kind of power, you're the kind of person that is not trying to build a separate power. This is where the tribalism happens. You, in order to fight with, maybe because the Scots have a history of not playing well with others, and then God gave them tribes as well, so we had the clans, and of course they fought with each other because, well, there's somebody else, and they're MacFarlane's, or they're, what a, what's another, Campbell's, you're supposed to spit after you say Campbell. Don't get along. As soon as you get people a group, oh, we're for the Broncos. Oh, yeah. We're for the Vandals. Oh. Ah. And all it was was a mileage measurement. He was saying, okay, how far am I from Boise? And how far am I from Moscow? And as soon as I know the actual measurements, actual road measurements, then you know who you're supposed to kill other people over. Because tribalism, if you don't have the power of God, you will fall back at the power of the world. The power of the world is always political. It's always some group where we get together as a society and we have them and us. And Jesus Christ says, no, 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 no. My power to save, my power that gives you hope of eternality and glorifies me is the power to welcome Live in harmony with one another. Is the rule for the Gentiles, you're mostly Gentiles out there for the most part. Our God and our Christ came to rule the Gentiles and our hope is in that power that he gave us in that salvation. Paul talks about how the, um, and also in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, that the whole mystery of the gospel hidden for ages was this message that Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility he had given himself people by faith were elect co-elect with the Jews didn't need to become Jews Jews became non-Jews and Gentiles became non-Gentiles we all became Christians this is where you find confidence in your Christian walk if you don't have the confidence in this Christian walk. In this last verse, 
sort of uh, sums it up. This is where, sort of where it was going in my mind. May the God of hope. Remember, he was the God of steadfastness and encouragement that brought hope. Now he's the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's one of those passages you could so easily ignore. Because it's got all the God words in there. God, hope, joy, peace, Holy Spirit. Hope twice. The kingdom of God which you entered by faith and I don't know your own Christian experience. I don't know, I know some of your testimonies. I've heard them, but uh, um, I don't know how you came to Christ. But you had to come to Christ. And you came to Christ by faith, believing. That was a path into the power of the kingdom of God. That is the power of joy and peace. You've been filled with that, I suppose, right? If you haven't, talk to someone who has. Because that's the nature of the gospel. Joy and peace. I want you to think about this because this is the power of the kingdom of God. It's not us talking. I was just thinking about it singing the hymns this morning. Well, make it some great claims. It's not the usual hypocrisy thing. I sometimes think that we replace having joy, peace, and hope with talking about having joy, peace, and hope. Singing about having joy, peace, and hope. I always like it as well with my soul because it's so well done, poetically and musically. You can tell you're looking out, I get the view of all the Christians you know, that I know sitting in pews, and you can see it working them over, verse 3 just sort of you know, punches them around the head because they're remembering the grace of God to them. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. And you can't help, obviously, with good writing. You can't help but think about it. You're saying it in the first person. You're singing it in the first person. I hope you're believing it in the first person. But that's, this is, in believing, we have joy and peace and hope. This is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are all internal to you. They're not things you did to me. You didn't joy me. You didn't peace me. You didn't hope me. You could love me, but that's not on the list. Joy, peace, and hope are on the list. The power of your belief grants you the joy and peace in that believing. That's what the God of hope does. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That you have a lot of hope. That's what abundance, abounding, means. And he, he claimed that, that this was all being done in the scriptures. Remember, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. The scriptures are pointing at this work of grace in people. That when it happens to you, you become the kind of Christian that can love even a Presbyterian. You can love a charismatic a Southern Baptist, a little out there, but we can do it. We can do it through Jesus. We are given this great good, and it's so far above what talk will do for you.
so far above what difficult questions. The Sadducees had a difficult question for the Lord. And he says, you don't even know the scriptures, nor the power of God. I think in the Mark passage, says at the end of it, he says, is this not why you were wrong? He explains it to them. You're just wrong. You want to not just be powerful. This is a path to being right, the right kind of power. If you don't have it, if it did not happen, because you can come to a church that is evangelical, we'd probably be qualified as non-denominational evangelical, where you know that, okay, what do these people talk about? I get the talking part right. I'll find out what the lingo is like. And I'll smile more, and I'll chat with people, and I'll join the women's fellowship, if you're a woman. Um, I'll get involved. I had a guy actually come to me, years, this is years ago, had a part, hard time with faith, you know, believing it. He said, ask, could I just fake it? I mean, he asked me if he could just hang out with the Christians until it became kind of universal in his thought processes. He was going to brainwash himself by only being around Christians until he talked that way and that way alone. I said, not good enough. We don't want you, I said. You're just an awful human being. We kind of, at that point of self-awareness, he knew he was awful. If you don't have the joy, if you don't have the peace in believing, if you don't have the abundance of hope from your contact with the power of God in you, you're going to replace it if you like if you want religion, you're going to try to make it up some sort of way. Find a happening church where you believe that all the power is going to exist in the institution and you're going to be part of that institution. All the power is going to exist in the brilliant mind that you become a big fan of, whether it's C.S. Lewis or, you know, C.S. Lewis. Okay, maybe a John Piper, John MacArthur. You can be if you if you want to be those sorts of people, and you become an expert in those things. You can become all about the thing you think is Christianity, but that's not what the kingdom of God is. You will follow the talkers because the talkers had a lot to talk about. The nice thing about joy and peace and hope is you're not being... Notice how it says in uh, Galatians, after it gives the fruit of the Spirit, it says, against such there is no law. You're not being forbidden to be this. Nobody in any church is going to be upset with you for being joyful, peaceful, and full of hope. Confident in the things unseen. Drawn together, welcoming one another because God has been glorified in you. Nobody's going to object. There's no laws to do them. These are things, virtues that you have occur in you. And you don't ever find the tribe of joy waging war with the tribe of peace. Baptists and Presbyterians, you might run into some problems, but not the joyful people and the peaceful people. They never are categories Politically, 
the beginning of your welcome that you have, the thing that we all want to have. All souls, if you come here with any, you know, occasionality, if that's a word, regularity. Our name is based on, we, we, we want to welcome you from whatever background you're from spiritually. We want you to be in Christ. You don't ever, you can't join the church because there's no membership, but you can join Jesus Christ. And if you have, you're members of the other people here. So we have people of all sorts of different backgrounds theologically, and we hope, hope that they stay different because it's almost like a way of enjoying the joy, peace, and hope and the welcome we have of the power of God at work in us to, to extend ourselves, back to the first verse, not to please ourselves. He's pleased his neighbor for his good, to edify him, because our Christ did not please himself. We want to be like that. This is our kingdom, his kingdom, and this is the power of God in it. I think that's the end of the passage. We're having the Lord's Supper this morning, and uh, after I close in prayer, let's the gentleman can come forward that's going to do something with it. <laughs>